And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Two big things to talk about. One, a little bit in the rearview mirror, although it's still developing. And then I'll start, however, with, with the, the news of the week that we're seeing right now that I want to hit right away. Um, but obviously one is domestic story and one is an international story. But for people who follow Israel and the Jewish community and the Jewish world, these are both very close to home. Uh, I'm doing this program right now just before the Iowa caucuses uh, that will be held on Monday, February 3rd. And based on what I've seen in the polls, and more importantly than that, because the polls can be misleading, especially in statewide uh, elections and statewide primaries, polls are really hard to get right. Um, but based on what I've seen on it, it, from that part of the evidence, which is only one part of the evidence, and also based on what I've seen just on social media and the way the wind is blowing, I will be very surprised if Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont is not the winner of the Iowa caucuses on Monday. I'd be surprised. Now, there are some funny tricks that they can play with the Iowa caucuses. You know, sometimes someone who can get a lot of the votes won't get as many of the delegates or they won't declare him or her the outright winner. Um, but I think uh, he's going to win pretty much by any metric. I'd be surprised, again, if that isn't the result. Uh, a couple of things that are important to keep in mind about this for those who are going to be very unhappy about a Bernie Sanders uh, surge and those who will be happy about it. That doesn't really matter. Either way, these are facts I'm going to lay out here that are important. First is what we have seen throughout the process of this already very long presidential election. We have already really been in full election mode, at least obviously the Democrats have been because you have an incumbent Republican president and President Donald Trump. But from the Democrats, they have been in full election mode for really more than a year. I know that some of the candidates, including Joe Biden, have, didn't really officially announce until early last year. But that aside, there's been a full election mode. The election campaigns in this country have been, for president, have been extended greatly over the years. It used to be that you really didn't know who was running for president until uh, a a year before Election Day. Uh, Now it's really two years before Election Day, if not more. So it's been a long series, a long period already for the Democrats running for president. And what we have seen throughout is that in the national polls, which you've probably heard me here on Novak now throw a a, a big amount of shade on, because national polls, there is no such thing as a national election in in this country. We vote, especially for president, we vote state by state, right? But in those national polls, which are still somewhat instructive in some ways, for the most part, Joe Biden has led them throughout in the Democratic primary race. But what we have also seen throughout this year of the election already, really from the Democrats' point of view, is that different Democratic candidates for president get hot at different times. I think the first non-Biden hot streak was by Senator Kamala Harris from California, but then that flamed out. Uh, I think the the next one was Senator Elizabeth Warren, and she flamed out. Uh, Then we saw from Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and he has kind of flamed out. And I think now this is Bernie Sanders' time. Uh, It doesn't mean that he's going to flame out as well, uh, especially since this is someone who went the distance in the Democratic primary in 2016. 
Folks, one thing you have to remember is we've had very few primary nomination battles in this country in the modern era that went to the distance. Now, in the old days in the 19th century, and in some cases in the early 20th century, you actually had situations where they went to conventions not knowing who, uh, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans not knowing exactly who their nominee was going to be. That really hasn't happened since the, the 1950s. 1952 was really the last time uh, you went into a convention, the Democrats in this case went into a convention not really knowing who their nominee was going to be. It ended up being Adlai Stevenson. You could argue mathematically that in 1976, the Republicans didn't really know who their nominee was going to be because Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan, neither, neither one of them that year, had clinched officially on paper the the number of delegates they needed to win the nomination. But it was pretty obvious that President Ford was going to get those few delegates he needed to win. It was just a question of what Ronald Reagan was going to do, how long he was going to wait, whether he was going to uh, endorse President Ford uh, quickly, which he did. Uh, and of course, President Ford didn't take the, did take the nomination. In the modern era, though, we've, o- we've really only had, and I'm talking since 1952, including that 1976 election, we've really only had three primary elections for president. In one of the part, in one party or the other, where it really went the diff- distance. Now, in '76, again, it really, truly wasn't a, a broker convention because President Ford won it on the first ballot. But that did go the distance. I mean, you really did have the entire 1976 primary season for the Republicans go without someone clinching officially on paper the number of delegates he needed to clinch. Uh, obviously, without having that first vote first. Then you have to go all the way to 2008. All the way to 2008, where Barack Obama needs pretty much every last primary before he clinches the nomination over Hillary Clinton. That's how long it was until you had another challenge like that. It took that long. Um, it didn't go the, the distance to a first ballot at a convention, but Hillary Clinton pretty much took it as far as you could take it without doing that. And then Eight years later, Bernie Sanders does the same thing almost to Hillary Clinton. I, I think she had clinched it before the last one or two primaries, but it was close up until that point. So here you have somebody like Bernie Sanders now, fast forward four years later, and I think there's a chance that he won't flame out like the other Democrats have. The others that I mentioned, Kamala Harris's, the Elizabeth Warrens, the Pete Buttigieg's, these other people who I think the voters, the Democrat voters keep hoping for somebody else who might be a little bit more exciting than Joe Biden, someone they can get emotionally behind. In the case of Kamala Harris, it didn't work. In the case of Elizabeth Warren, it didn't work. And in the case of Pete Buttigieg, it's not working. It may not work with Bernie Sanders because there's going to be tremendous pushback from the more moderate Democrats out there, even some very liberal Democrats. If you are not a very young voter or you're not someone from the inner cities uh, or the hipster types, I think Bernie Sanders has trouble getting your emotional backing. I think a lot of the liberal Democrats will vote for him if he is the eventual nominee because they hate President Trump so very much. But will he get a big turnout? Will suburban liberal Democrats who are wealthy and secretly aren't going to want anyone to raise their taxes even though they might say so, are they going to come out in big numbers for Bernie Sanders? I don't think so. So there's a chance that he does flame out. But but I think because he went the distance against Hillary Clinton four years ago and knows a little bit more about how to play the game, uh, he might very well be able to avoid becoming the fourth or fifth Democrat other than Joe Biden to flame out. So that's one thing I want everyone to 
sort of consider right now. It's still at this point the flavor of the month right now, uh, the, the, the alternative of the month to Joe Biden, because Joe Biden, to me, has no chance of inflaming the emotions of the Democratic Party right now and of those voters and of those liberals who may or may not vote, very far left liberals who may or may not vote, who may or may not come out in big numbers. Joe Biden's not going to to fire them up. He's not the emotional choice that so many people had with Barack Obama, rightly or wrongly. I would say it's wrongly, but a lot of people got very emotionally connected to him. Most of you listening know what I'm talking about, the messianic way that some people talked about uh, President Obama. Some still do. Uh, Joe Biden's never going to get that. And on top of that, he's never going to get the somewhat aspect of that 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 Hillary Clinton enjoyed. Hillary Clinton enjoyed a little bit of that, nothing close to what Obama got, but a little bit of that based on the fact that she was the first woman to get a a nomination from a major party to be president. And because uh, there was a a strong feeling about her, people who felt strongly about her knew her for a long time. Obviously, there were people who felt very badly about her and really didn't like her at all. Uh, as well. But the point is, there was a little bit of an emotional groundswell for her among Democrats and liberals. I don't see Joe Biden getting that at all. If Joe Biden is the nominee, a lot of Democrats will come out and vote for him, certainly. But does he get those moderates? Does he get those far left liberals to come at him, come out and vote for him in the big numbers like like Barack Obama did? Does he get a huge African-American turnout like Barack Obama did? I don't think so. I don't think so. And so the Democrats, some, um, uh, some of the folks in the party understand what, what that's all about. And the same is true of Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg will, will not turn off those suburban Democrats I just talked about who will be turned off by Bernie Sanders. Mike Bloomberg may get uh, a decent amount of, 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 of uh, organized Democrat support, absolutely. But will he bring out those far-left liberals who are progressive types? Will he bring out the young folks? Will he bring out the African-American vote? I don't think so either. I really don't. So the Democrats are really caught between a rock and a hard place because Bernie Sanders can get a little bit of a groundswell. He can get a lot of emotional backers, but he takes away almost as much as he brings to the table with that because, like I said, the, the moderate Democrats will probably not come out to vote for him. And a number of moderate Democrats who are, for example, big Wall Street donors have said that if Bernie Sanders is a nominee, not only will they not vote for him, but they might donate to President Trump. So he is a, is a very double-edged sword for the Democrats right now, very problematic. But like I said, I, I do expect him to win the Iowa caucuses right now. And then after the Iowa caucuses, remember, we have the um, New Hampshire primary, which is really home field, a home field game for Bernie Sanders. New Hampshire and Vermont, so very similar in the way they in those states, uh, and uh, they they really overlap in a lot of parts. For those of you who know your geography of Vermont and New Hampshire, you can do a day of grocery shopping and going to uh, the diner uh, if you live in either one of those states and not know which state you're in at any given, given time because there's a lot of overlap. Um, so you know Bernie Sanders, if he wins Iowa, which I expect him to do, is very likely to win the first two primaries, and and that's a very big groundswell for him. Does that mean he again? Does that he won't be the 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 flavor of the month who who flames out? I don't know yet. I, I have to see how things go after these first two primaries. But uh, he has a chance to to I think have a little bit more staying power than the rest of the Democrats who have been flavor of the month over the past year and eventually flamed out. Look, there's a lot of things to talk about with Bernie Sanders from a Jewish point of view. It's hard to say anything else than what I'm about to say, which is it's unfortunate that he's Jewish. And I say that because he is someone who was clearly very hostile to Jewish tradition. 
no matter what he says about how proud of his heritage he is. That's just not true. I don't think he's that proud of his heritage because he has no interest in his heritage. He's never really been a practicing Jew. He's never shown any interest in being a practicing Jew. He's never shown much, any support at all for the state of Israel. He was one of the harshest critics, if not the harshest critic on the, on, on the, in the presidential campaign right now of any party of Israel, which is so problematic because you know there's going to be a huge percentage of people in this country and around the world who will believe that he is the more accurate assessor of Israeli policy because he's Jewish, which is outrageous. Um, Sad to say, and many of you listening understand this, that some of the biggest enemies of the Jewish people and certainly the state of Israel over the course of our history have been uh, children of Jewish mothers, I'll say. To actually call them Jews, I don't even know if you can really even say that. I know halakhically you're a Jew until the last second of your life, and I don't want to pretend that I'm a rabbi here, and I'm not. But when you don't live in a community and you're hostile to the community and you support things that are hostile to the community, I think we can say you're out of the community. You're certainly not a Jew in good standing, and you're certainly not a a person in the community of good standing. And the fact that Bernie Sanders not only courts the friendship of people like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who I talked about last week, someone who has promoted a, a blood libel more than once, on the Jewish people, and she still has not apologized for her latest blood libel promotion of the of the last week when she retweeted the completely unfounded and disgusting accusation that a poor Arab boy, a seven-year-old Arab boy in East Jerusalem who, who drowned in a cistern because there's been a lot of rain in Israel, she retweeted the accusation that he had been kidnapped by settlers and, and killed. Of course, that's not true. And she did erase the, uh, the tweet but never apologized for it. And her statement about the tweet was, I, I need to be more careful about news sources. So she did not say, I'm sorry. She did not say, this was a terrible lie that someone, that someone put online that I, that I retweeted that, that probably promoted ancient uh, stereotypes and, and slurs against the Jewish people. She didn't say any of that. And this isn't just someone who is on the list of people who support Bernie Sanders. This is someone who Bernie Sanders courts Openly, This is someone who Bernie Sanders has brought onto the stage with him many times, including in Iowa over the last few days. Same goes for Linda Sarsour, a virulent, virulent, dishonest, blood libeling hater of the state of Israel, who is a very open and outward surrogate for Bernie Sanders, who appears with him at campaign events. Now, folks, One of the things I don't like to do when I talk about politics or anything in life is to beat my head against the wall. And it feels like I'm beating my head against the wall when I talk about the double standard in the way that the news media covers things. Democrats can say racist things. Democrats can say anti-Semitic things. And they can get away with it with a much more regular success than Republicans can. And let me make this clear. Anybody, Republican or Democrat, who says racist and anti-Semitic things should not be getting away with it. But Bernie Sanders, because he's a Democrat, and I guess because he is a Jew, gets away with not only courting the support and getting the support of vicious anti-Israel, anti-Semites. He does more than that. He brings them on the stage with him. He's proud to have them with him. Imagine if Donald Trump had invited David Duke onto the stage with him. Imagine if Donald Trump had major surrogates online who were white supremacists. Now, there are white supremacists who apparently support Donald Trump, but he does not court them, and he does not have them at his campaign rally standing at stages with him, and he does not say, hey, this is an official uh, 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 messenger of my campaign. And I know there's people listening here who actually believe that, but you're having a delusion. It's not true. 
But there's no denying that this is what Bernie Sanders does. So to say that he's surging right now and he's having the lead in the Democratic primary race is, is frightening and sad. I'm just saying this is a fact. It's just it's, it's true. And to just go one step further on the Bernie Sanders account, this is someone who is still unrepentant and has not retracted his many positive comments about the former Soviet Union. And remember, this is a man who took his current wife, his second wife, to the Soviet Union for their honeymoon in 1988. Back at a time when the Soviet Union was really getting onto its last legs, just when we needed more unity from the United States and on the American side to kind of push the Soviet Union to that last breath, he's going there and supporting it. And at the time that he did that, the Soviet Union had an official, not an undercover, an official anti-Semitic policy. So again, imagine if Donald Trump and one of his wives, I know he's had three, had gone to apartheid-era South Africa for their honeymoon and had praised apartheid South Africa. I'm sorry, this is very similar to what Bernie Sanders and his wife did. It is not a false analogy there. I know no analogy is perfect. I'm not saying it's the same thing. But for Bernie Sanders to go to the Soviet Union at a time where it had an official anti-Semitic policy and its communist policies had left millions dead and to go there and show his support for them and never retract it and never apologize for it after all these years is a huge strike against the man. Now, I understand some of his allure and persuasion. You've heard me here on, on Novak Now, on the Nachum Siegel Network, say many times that the reason people win and lose campaigns, especially for president, is because they are or are not more persuasive or, or less persuasive than their opponent. And I think there are some things that are persuasive about Bernie Sanders. He seems to be very authentic. And I say seems to be because I think one of the first things that he's doing that's very dishonest is saying he really wants to be president. I don't think he wants to be president. I think he wants to rabble-rouse. So I think that's the one, dis- one very disingenuous thing about him. But he seems to be otherwise honest, if not wrong. <laughs> but he seems to be honest and he seems to be consistent. And people compare that to Joe Biden, who goes everywhere the, everywhere the wind blows. I, I've heard, a, I heard an interesting nickname for Joe Biden. He's the rusty weather vane. He's rusty because he's old and he's rusty because he's turned around so many times. And, he, and he's a weather vane that turns around. Joe Biden has changed his position on every single thing all the time. And whether you like where his position is now or you liked where his position was before, I can see how someone could say, like, well, at least Bernie Sanders has been in the same place all the time. He seems a lot more genuine. I get it. And then you have somebody like – and then when you talk about the progressive side of the Democratic Party, the further left part, part of the Democratic Party where Sanders' big competition is Senator Elizabeth Warren, well – it's not hard to look more, look more genuine and honest than Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is a pathological liar. And one of the reasons why she's really started to fall flat is because she has been unable to resist every single potential lie that's come to her doorstep throughout her career, but especially in the last few months of this campaign. The last one being this report that was floated out. And I don't know who floated it out originally. I don't think anyone's going to know this. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the Sanders campaign because it was a smart move to float out this lie, which was that Bernie Sanders said to her in 2018 that a woman can't win for president, which hardly anyone believes he really said. But when asked about it, Elizabeth Warren had a chance to tell the truth for once, and she didn't. She said, yeah, that's what he said to me. And no one believes that. No one really credibly believes that. And she fell for it one more time, couldn't resist the lie, and her polls have sank like, you know, they were already struggling, but she was starting to show some, some stabilization in her polls. She was starting to come back a little bit in the polls, and then she fell apart. 
And I'll give I'll give Elizabeth Warren credit. This is I, I, she's had a very energetic campaign. When she gets out on the stump, she she shows some energy out there that some of the other candidates don't have. Certainly not Joe Biden. And she had every chance to do much better in this uh, primary election than she did, but she just can't stop lying. And of course, the most famous lie is the lie about her supposed Native American heritage, which she says she had always believed, but wasn't really didn't have all the facts, and now she knows it's not true, and she's quasi-apologized. She's only apologized for saying she may have had some membership in a tribe, but she's not apologized for the outright lie that she has any real Native American uh, ancestry. Of course, you remember the very famous DNA test showed that she has less uh, um, Native American ancestry in her DNA than most Americans, let alone more or let alone an an actual lineage. But she's also lied about why she stopped teaching. She said she was fired for being or not rehired because she was pregnant, and that has been proved to be a lie. Uh, She's lied about a ton of things, and she can't resist it. And it's very, very obvious. And so, again, Bernie Sanders looks uh, pretty good to her. I get it. Compared to her, I get it. I get it. But his surge in the Democratic Party is disconcerting for so many reasons. And apparently there are members of the Democratic Party who are very aware of this and they're frightened by it and they're, all, and they're coming with all kinds of schemes to try to squeeze him out, including trying to bring Mike Bloomberg into the picture. And I got to tell you, that's a trap <laughs> because Bernie Sanders is going to look also very good compared to Mike Bloomberg, a man who's worth $50 billion plus, a man who's buying his way into this election, a man who's buying his way into the debates. That's something that broke over the last couple of days that he's bought his way out of a a, a rule that would have blocked him from a debate in, in Nevada coming up. And Bernie Sanders is going to look just like he did, as, as he does compared to Elizabeth Warren and compared to Joe Biden. When, when he goes up against Mike Bloomberg, he's going to look more genuine. He's going to look more like a normal guy. He's going to more, look more like a middle-class guy, although he's far from that. He owns three homes. His wife has been given lucrative jobs just because she's married to Bernie Sanders. And she's done terrible jobs in those, as you might expect. When you give, when you give jobs to people because of nepotism, uh, don't expect good results. And her um, uh, tenure as president of the University of Burlington, uh, which was, was the job that she got because she was the wife of the senator of, of Vermont, and she ended up driving that school into the ground. It is now defunct. College is out of business, literally because of a ridiculous decision she made to do a super expansion into increased tuition and things like that. And there also may have been some criminal activity there because the school borrowed money to do that expansion, and it's very, very likely that the documents that the school handed over to the banks to get that loan money was fraudulent and illegal. Uh, apparently, the FBI is still investigating this. I have not heard any news that that investigation has ended, but we do know that that investigation, investigation started about three years ago. Anyway, so my point is that Bernie Sanders doesn't deserve to be uh, to have that reputation as sort of an everyman or a middle class guy or even an honest guy. But compared to Elizabeth Warren, yeah, he is. Compared to Joe Biden, yeah, he is. Compared to Mike Bloomberg, he's poor, right? Because Mike Bloomberg's worth you know one of the top twenty richest men in the world. I think he's one of the top ten richest men in the world. So, folks. This whole idea that Mike Bloomberg is going to come and save the day against Bernie Sanders, he might be the one who clinches it for Bernie Sanders. Because people are going to say some of these far left groups and maybe even some some moderate Democrats might look at it and say, like, this is a, this is a unfair practice that they're doing. They're inserting Mike Bloomberg into this election in, in return for money, in return for other stuff just to stop Bernie. And it looks bad. And here's this super rich guy who Bernie 
has made his whole campaign about how they have too much power, and he's going to stand up there on that podium proving Bernie's point. I mean, could they ask for a better president if you're in the Sanders campaign? Now, if they fumble that, if they're unable to cash in on the way that they're inserting Bloomberg into this election, and if, if Bernie Sanders isn't able to effectively say and persuasively say, there's that word again, persuasion, if he is unable to persuasively say, hey, look, this guy standing to the left of me, Mike Bloomberg, the guy that has bought his way onto this debate stage, this is what I'm talking about. The billionaires have too much power in America. This guy has broken all the rules because he has the money. Now, if Bernie Sanders and his campaign can't do that, then they don't deserve to win. Of course, I would argue they don't deserve to win for the fact that he's promoting terrible policies. The other reason why he doesn't deserve to win is like, it's just like he did in 2016 when he refused to pound Hillary Clinton over her many, many instances of, 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 of un, un, unelectable and, and, and illegal behavior. He's doing the same thing just along with all the other Democrats. They're doing the same thing on Joe Biden's career and Joe Biden's career of family corruption. And I wrote a column about that for CNBC about how the fact that all the other Democrats aren't willing to bring that up just shows that they don't really want to win. But I think Bernie Sanders will have some a light fired, a, a, a light, you know, ignited under him if Bloomberg horns himself into this race like the way it's, it seems to be happening. Uh, I just want to spend the last couple of minutes talking about the Israel peace deal. Of course, that was a huge story uh, in the past week. I think it's a fantastic deal that President Trump has offered for on the Israeli standpoint. Clearly, the big victory for, for the world, but particularly for Israel and the United States, is the fact that so many Arab countries, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Egypt, they're all basically in support of it in one way or the other. And then you even have Qatar, which is really surprising because they kind of do Iran's bidding most of the time. They're calling on the Palestinians to at least consider it, which is a big deal. So to me right there, that's a huge victory for Israel because all these countries I've mentioned don't officially recognize Israel as a state right now. So the fact that they're talking that about considering this peace plan or, or supporting the peace plan, peace plan is a de facto recognition of Israel, which is a very big deal. And it's good for Israel because it, it gives Israel legal sovereignty or would grant on the United States' eyes legal sovereignty over so much of the West Bank, which is disputed, and that's so important. What we're seeing right now, though, is a little bit of a delay from Israel and maybe mixed messages from Washington about how quickly Israel should annex or officially extend its sovereignty over some of those areas in the West Bank that this peace plan would say that the United States fully recognizes Israel's, Israel's sovereignty over. Um, I am very much in favor of Israel doing this as quickly as possible for a number of reasons. But the biggest reason being Israel cannot be like the Palestinians and look this gift horse in the mouth. The Palestinians, as we all expected, have rejected this plan. They've been rejecting it for, for a long time, even before it was finally released. They've been saying they weren't going to accept it. And the Palestinians continue to prove that they're not really interested in statehood. They've rejected it about 12 times or passed to statehood about 12 times offered to them since 1937 in the Peel Commission. So it's nothing new that they're doing this. But it's incredible that no one seems to see, or only a few people seem to see, that the every time the Palestinians do this, their lives get worse. The deal, the next deal they get is worse. They had a much better deal offered to them, for example, in 2000 in President Clinton's final days in office. So they're making that mistake. Israel shouldn't make a similar mistake by dawdling and not declaring the sovereignty and, 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 and forcing this issue. You know, the United States will always have that veto power at the U.N., 
And as long as you don't have a really, really hostile U.S. president, which we could get with a Bernie Sanders, for example, a really, really hostile U.S. president in the White House, to, and, and by that I mean hostile to Israel, then anything Israel does right now to extend their sovereignty in the West Bank is probably permanent because the U.S. has that power at the U.N. So I would say they should not delay. This is Jake Novak. This has been this edition of Novak. Now you can follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. I hope to speak to you again next week.